radio. Let's see here. Hello. Yeah, I got everything here. Let's see. Uh, how's my voice tonight? Maria, 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 Maria. I've been doing that as well. Uh, Hey, did you hear that on the latest Barbara Streisand record, she sings uh, uh, Stout-Hearted Men? How's that for a role reversal, gang, huh? How's that one, huh? Give me some men who are stout-hearted men, and I'll soon give you 10,000 more. I'd like to hear Barbara do that one. That's very good. Shades of Nelson Eddy. Oh, hey, uh, listen, uh, you are very lucky, friends. You have for once in your crummy, miserable life, at the poor little pockmarked thing that you carry around inside of you, uh, for once you've tuned to the right spot of the dial at the right time. And if you want to hear high comedy in the highest, most uh, exquisite sense, uh, so exquisite that it's, you know you can almost taste it, uh, you've come to the right point. I have a tape tonight that is a full-blown, total, complete, unadulterated gas. Now, uh, it was made by one of the guys who works the show with me here, Larry Londino, who's an engineer. And uh, like true engineers, Larry only thinks he's got one-track mind, and wherever he goes, he takes his little tape recorder. Now, that can be very embarrassing. But nevertheless, uh, he does it. (laughs) It does. I'll tell you, a tape recorder nut is even worse than a camera, candid camera nut. Because, because in a way, sound is far more descriptive than pictures. You know this old Chinese canard uh, that if one picture's worth 10,000 words, forget it. That's, that's, that's all over and done with, you see, because the Chinese invented that canard before Pentron came out with a tape recorder, before Minnesota Mining got in the act. And I would like to say this. Uh, It is my considered opinion as a worker here in the great grape vines, the vineyards, as a worker in the wheat fields of communication, that uh, a well-edited piece of tape will do more than 400,000 feet of color TV film. Now, you could see the same thing on TV that you're going to hear now, and it would be nothing. I mean, you know, with Robert Stack standing around, uh, one of the great actors of our time, Robert Stack. I always feel that any time I see Robert Stack, I always feel like he's going to break into a song about Micron uh, with foaming action. But uh, then again, I'm just, you know, I'm a sorehead. I'm a recognized sorehead. It's a terrible scene. No wonder, you're right. No wonder I don't have any friends. You know, I could just as easy be a friend of Robert Stack if I didn't say things like this around there. Yeah, that's right. You know? I'm the first guy in the, in the block who does not think Sammy Davis Jr. is the greatest singer in the world. And that, you know what that'll do to you. Oh, yeah, the whole shtick. I had to snick and everybody after me. It was terrible. But nevertheless, uh, <laughs> this tape, it's just, uh, you, you've turned to the right spot. This tape was made by Larry. Now, it was made a week or so ago. In fact, let's see, about two weeks ago, right? And uh, it was made on the opening day of a very important season. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know that some men live by seasons, uh, other men live by years. There are some guys who... Now, it, it's not... The seasons vary. Now, for example, I know one guy who lives for one week of the year. Now, this guy happens to be a fishing nut. 
Now, uh, the average Brooklyn-type sheepshead day fisherman, I mean, he can go fishing any time of the year. You know, dra uh, Actually, that's not called fishing by a real fishing nut. That's called dredging. So that's something, <laughs> that's something else to get. But this guy is a nut. He lives for one week of the year. Now, what does he live for? Well, early in May, in Maine, the landlocked salmon season opens for fly casting. Well, he rushes up to Maine. He freezes his you-know-what off. You know, the snow is still eight feet deep in Maine at that time of the year. And he gets a cold, and uh, his sinuses back up on him. He has terrible sinuses. This guy, from one week, this guy's sinuses are backed up all the way to December, just from that one week in May. And he rushes all the way up there. He leaves everybody in, in the lurch. He runs up, quits his job, the whole thing. If his boss told him he couldn't go, he would tell his boss a terrible thing to do with his job. So the boss knows it. So every week he goes, once, that one week, he runs up to Maine, and he takes out his casting rod, and he goes out like mad, and the ice flows are all around him, and he has this Indian guide, and for one week, he flays the surface of this poor, innocent lake, never catches anything. He has never caught a landlocked salmon. But that doesn't matter. Then the week is over, and his year is done. He goes back home, and he thinks about next year. That's a seasonal man. Now, there is the kind of guy who lives for those ten Sundays when Joe Namath is running around out there. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of silly. But nevertheless, there are people who do devote their lives. And all during the win Oh, yes, I, I suspect that eventually the pro football season is going to be a year-round operation. And, I, and not only that, they're going to have three games a day. Now, they're going to have a morning game, an afternoon game, and a doubleheader at lunchtime and supper. And there's going to be a tripleheader from 8 until 10 that night. And there's going to be 7,000 teams, you know, the, the expansion, you know, that everybody in. We all know that that's good for football. And for those of you who have seen the Miami Dolphins play, you know how good expansion has been for football. Matter of fact, the Hester Eagles could have beaten that crowd. No wonder Joe set a record against them. They play beanbags, not football. Nevertheless, that's a seasonal man. One of the most virulent of all the seasonal people you're going to hear tonight, one of the nuttiest of all the seasonal nuts, is the duck hunter. And if you have never seen a duck hunter in full flight, if you have never seen a duck hunter with the heat on him, as a matter of fact, a duck hunter in heat is a sight. I mean, with a canvas jacket, these guys, they read magazines and they buy books and they sit around all year and polish their 12-gauge shotgun and dream dreams of these beautiful V-flights of mallards coming in the, in the dawn. Yeah, and they, they always see themselves, every duck hunter I've ever known, in fact, you see pictures on field and stream, sports afield, of these duck hunters standing up in a canvas boat. You see, and they're dynamic-looking guys, square-jawed, and they are apparently in a trackless wilderness. Have you noticed that? The pictures always shows them. You see all around them cattails and reeds, and you see coming in at 4 o'clock. You see coming in at 150 feet, you see this magnificent flight of canvas backs, all of them weighing 7 pounds, and all of them are in this perfect formation, and these guys are standing up, and the dogs are waiting to go out and catch the birds, you know, and bring them in, and all that stuff. But the point is that the duck hunter always sees himself in a sylvan setting. He sees himself alone, too. He sees himself hunting these ducks in a kind of a wilderness like the great swamp of New Jersey. Well, now, Larry Landino, just one 
one, one hour or two before the duck season. And incidentally, for those of you who don't know anything about ducks and the duck season, the duck season always opens at dawn, at 6 a.m. It's not really dawn. It's a little light, but it's dawn. It's dark. And duck hunters go out on the opening day. Now, no good duck hunter, I mean, ever misses opening day. This is, uh, I mean, really seriously. This this is a uh, this is like one of the devout uh, not making the scene on Easter. You just don't miss this day. This is a big day, and so duck hunters have been known seriously. They've been known to leave their wives. They've been known to uh, shoot their kids, who tried to prevent them from going. Uh, they've been oh yeah, the, the madness is unbelievable, and so as the duck season opens. The night before, duck hunters prepare. They've got their license. They've got their canvas coats out. They've got them all loaded with 12-gauge shotgun shells. And uh, it's a terrible thing. You, know, you have to get up so early in the morning to go duck hunting. About 3 o'clock in the morning, they get in their cars, and they go out into the wilderness. And it's usually cold, 6 o'clock in the morning. They usually get out there around 4 or 5. And they get out into their blind. Now, Larry told me that he went out and uh, he's not a duck hunter particularly, but he was with these duck hunters. And uh, you'll, you'll see what I mean in just a few seconds, I'll tell you. They really are. And uh, he took along his tape recorder, just for, you know, just kicks. And so at 4 o'clock in the morning, they were sitting in a little boat. There were three of them. And he said it was so black out there. And they were way out in Jersey somewhere, out in the swamps, out in the lake out there. And uh, way up somewhere near Dover, out in Jersey, out in the hills there. And it's absolutely, he says, he did not see a soul. Dead silence. And the three of them are sitting in a boat. It's four o'clock in the morning. They've got their 12-gauge shotguns already. They've got their dogs. And the silent water is all around them. And Larry said he had this feeling that he was so alone, they were so alone in the wilderness, that there wasn't another person within 500 miles of them. And now it's five o'clock in the morning. And they're watching their, their watches. They're very careful. It's 5.30 in the morning. Remember, the duck season opens at exactly 6 a.m. It is now 5.45. And they're beginning to get a little anxious. And it's exciting. It's all year long. They've been waiting for this moment. It is now five minutes to six. And from way off in the distance, they can hear the sound just about a minute and a half before six. A warden off in the distance, way off somewhere fired off a gun to show them that the duck hunting season was now in full flight. And he said there was a pause. And all the while, his tape recorder is running. He thinks they're by themselves up in the wilderness. There's not a soul. And now you will hear the exact instant that the duck season opened in New Jersey about two weeks ago. Remember, it is 6 a.m., and Larry thinks he's all by himself. There <laughs> just three guys himself, you know, two other guys. And here is the first word. Suddenly, over the far hill, in the in the bleak dawn, appears a duck. And we hear... Here they come. Here they come, baby. Here they come. Here they come. Get ready. Here they come. They're going makes the DMC, the DMZ, like greasy kid stuff. 
talk about Nig Alley. opening of duck season in Jersey. And Larry said that, that there, were more, there was more flame. Uh, he said that from all around in the distance. He said he, he, he thought they were alone, you know. He said suddenly guys jumped out of the, <laughs> out of the bushes. He said there were more. And uh, for those of you who want to know the results, well, they got two ducks. One walked into camp. He gave himself up. And, uh, yeah, and the other one had been drinking. And never did get off the water. But the <laughs> listening to that scene, I'll tell you, it just it just reminds you once again, being a duck in Jersey is hell. It just ain't easy. That reminds me, speaking of sitting ducks, this is WOR in New York, friends. All right, sing it out, baby. Sing it out. Let's do it. Come on, sing it, baby. Yes, friends. All in favor of having a party, holler. Hey, Miller High Life. Miller High Life beer is the life of the party, Dad. In ice-cold bottles and in cans, Miller smells instant fun, instant hospitality, and instant conviviality. So when you plan the party, plan to serve popular Miller High Life, the life of the party, the champagne of bottle beer, with the quality that reflects, of course, your magnificent good taste, because you're a person with such great taste. You're a person who really knows what's happening, man. And if you serve Miller High Life, that shows that you're one of the real people. So buy the right one, man. Miller, high life. And by the way, in case you're coming down to the limelight this week, Larry will be behind the control board. And uh, the, he's saying one of the great moments, though, came when he was sitting down in that in that little boat there, and there, the guns are going off all around him, and the the lead, the little pellets, kept falling down. <laughs> so it was coming down like rain. <laughs> from the sky, hit them on the hat and all that. But that reminds me, it's, well, before we get into this, that uh, that reminds me of something, though. Hunting. I'm, I'm not a hunting type, particularly. Uh, before we get into that, I'd like to remind you, speaking of the limelight, that we are going to be at the limelight again this week from from uh, 10.30 until midnight. And by the way, uh, I have to reiterate, there are no tickets to the limelight. People keep writing me. I get, I get letters from all over the country saying, please send me tickets to the limelight. No tickets uh, at all involved, and uh, we're down there every Saturday night from uh, 10, uh, we usually start the show really earlier, about 10, 10, to about 10, uh, then we go on the air 10.30 and we stick around to midnight, and it's wild, I'll tell you, I, uh, I look forward all week to doing that show down at the limelight, that is, 
You know, I get letters from people. It's funny. The, the crowd divides into two separate crowds. There's one crowd that digs the limelight show to the end, and then there's the other crowd that, uh, that uh, I guess, uh, it's curious. They hear people laughing, and they can't quite figure out what the scene is. Do you know that up in Connecticut, there's a whole lot of kids who have limelight parties every Saturday night, and they turn on uh, the limelight, the show, and their radios. They sit around down in the basement. And, uh, of course, a few years ago, when we first started the limelight show, they, they would eat popcorn and drink uh, Yoo-Hoo. But things have changed. And now on Saturday night, they turn on the limelight. And you know how Connecticut is. You've been reading about Connecticut recently, haven't you? Oh, boy. <laughs> I understand our show is great for accompanying various things. However, uh, if you'd like to make the limelight scene, I would suggest you give them a call for a reservation because you don't want to get disappointed, come all the way down and find that uh, you're sitting up at the bar. So give them a call at Oregon 52212, and they'll take your reservation. We'll be down there. You know, listen to that scene there. Now, I'm going to warn you. This is a, is a, is a hunting story. And uh, whenever I, ever I pick up, I, I do a great deal of writing these days for Field and Stream. And uh, I get the magazine, and I read it. It comes in the office, and I read about these intrepid hunters. And have you ever noticed almost every story uh, in, in these outdoor magazines begins with uh, uh, Charlie and I got into the car at uh, dawn. And we headed out into the wilderness. Little did we realize that 15 minutes later we were to discover this bass lake that had never been discovered by man. In fact, the foot of man had never stepped upon these shores. Well, five minutes after Charlie got his tackle out of the back of the station wagon, the bass were chasing him through the woods, attempting to steal his bassarino from him. <laughs> you know, they were jumping into the creel. I got, you know, uh, this is the... This is the they never have the story of the other way around. The, the, the story of tunnel and abject failure, which is more like what most of us actually have happened to us. And also the strange uh, passions that come to light in, this, in the various pursuits that can be found out in the primal wilderness. Oh, yeah. Oh, for example, I'm, I'm up in Maine one time. Now, you know, I'm a man of the city. No, I live in New York. I'm up in Maine one time, and I'm standing on the shore of this lake. And all of a sudden, I see, out in the water there, I see a dot moving across the surface. And I take my glasses, and I look through the glasses, and I'll be doggone if it isn't a moose. And there's a moose out there swimming out the water, and he's about 400 feet across. You know, there's a fantastic head. I'll tell you, the head was you know, just... The, 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 the antlers alone must have stretched 30 feet. He had a wingspan on him like a DC-7, you know. And he is out there swimming in this water, and behind him is a dog swimming. And this dog must have weighed 12 pounds. And the dog is going, ow, ow, ow! And the moose is swimming along across the water, and he keeps turning his head back and looking at this dog. And I thought to myself, dog, maybe your, maybe your concept of, of the moose world is only abstract. But if you ever catch up with that moose... It's going to be not abstract any longer, but it's going to be real. As a matter of fact, I don't know of any more ferocious creature than a moose. And then I thought to myself, is this like man? <laughs> you know, he himself is pursuing things which he does not really know the meaning of and the final implication about. Well, one time, I learned these things early as a kid. I'm 16 years old. Now, I know I was 16 specifically. 
because I had to buy a hunting license. And in the state of Indiana, you do not have to buy a hunting license until you're 16. And that was a big moment. You know, I was now old enough to buy a license. And that makes you very efficient. You go out and you buy this license, a resident license. It costs $2 and a half. And you get a button. Uh, they issue a button out in Indiana that you put on your hunting cap. They have this little corduroy hat. And I had been reading these magazines like a nut. I was a real, uh, but all totally abstract. It was a totally abstract outdoor nut. And I had been reading Hunting and Fishing magazine and Field and Stream. And I'd been reading uh, all magazines like Sports of Field. And uh, my specialty was really dreaming about fishing. We really went fishing in our family. I would always think about it. And hunting was something that guys did in stories. Now, there was a lot of hunting, though, around our area out there. They had a lot of rabbits. They had uh, pheasants. They had quail. And uh, they had each other. Uh, that's one thing that hunters do a lot of. They wing each other in the bushes once in a while. And uh, that can be exciting. Now, you know that, do you know that up in Maine today, if you shoot a moose, you get five years? That's right. If you shoot a person by mistake in hunting... The average sentence is about 11 months. I'll tell you the truth. A friend of mine just came back from Maine. He said he was amazed that if you shoot a moose out of season, it's five years dead and like a you know, like a $1,000 fine or something. He says, but if you shoot a person and you're hunting up there, the average sentence is about 11 months. So, uh, you know, he was up there in the woods and he had this 3006 there. And he sees this guy going through the woods, and he's weighing up against, you know, he's thinking about this. Let's see if you shoot a person out of season. And uh, he wanted to shoot something. You know, he, was all, he came all the way up there. hadn't seen anything but a couple of rocks, you know, and some beer cans. And, and uh, he wanted to shoot something. I will not tell you how it came out, except to say that he's got to go back up. His hearing is next month. But uh, nevertheless, hey, hey, got him. He says he's had them mounted. But, uh, yeah, he, he's going to have them mounted in his full hunting costume. Uh, well, what the, I mean, when you get a hunter up there, you know, you did, especially in full plumage, you know, with the red coat, it's very colorful. Have him over your mantelpiece there. And he has him mounted, see, with his, uh, with his gun underneath it, you know, so, so he winged a good one. But uh, nevertheless, I'm a kid, see. And uh, my, uh, I, I knew a lot of other kids. And uh, some of them went hunting, and some of them didn't. Now, others played football at that time of the year, and that's what I did. And uh, every Saturday afternoon, we would go out and play football. We'd play football Friday night, playing football in school, high school, and all this. And hunting was a very abstract thing to me. Until one day, I had one of the most embarrassing, rotten moments I ever had happen in my life that came about as a result of the spirit of the chase. Now, I'm going to ask a question here that may sound somewhat peculiar. Have any of you ever heard of a creature called the snipe? You have? Are you sure? You know what a snipe is, huh? Well, have any of you ever gone out hunting snipe? Do you know? Would you like to hunt snipe, friend? Huh? Nothing like hunting snipes. Well, let me tell you about the time I went hunting snipes, and I'm 16 years old. I shall never, ever forget it. The old man had these friends. Zudok, Harry Gertz, that crowd. And uh, 
Well, they, they uh, whenever any season came around, these guys would take part in it, but they took part in it the way office workers take part in stuff. You know? Like, uh, for example, the uh, fishing season would come along, and they'd get all excited, and they'd talk a lot about it. And finally, late in July, after the season was open for seven months, they would go out and rent a rowboat made out of lead at 2 o'clock in the morning and row out to the middle of Cedar Lake and drink Atlas Crocker beer and swear, tell dirty stories, and fish for crappies. This would extend from about 2 a.m. to about 2.45 a.m. when Gertz would fall in. They would pull Gertz back in the boat and then they would row back into shore and finally get all the slimy water out of Gertz and all the Atlas Pronger out of them, and then they would come home. And that would be fishing. <laughs> and they always talk about going fishing again. See? Well, they were that kind. Well, one day they decided they were going hunting. They're all going to go hunting. Well, my old man never went hunting. The only thing he ever hunted, you know, was very funny. He was an ex-pool shark. And his idea of hunting was going down to the pool room and looking for a mark, that kind of thing. But they're going to go hunting. So they all go out and they borrow these uh, canvas coats where they put the 12-gauge shotgun shells in. The old man borrows a gun. And uh, they take off in the Oldsmobile. Gertz, Zudok, my old man, and uh, a guy named Sherby, <laughs> Mr. Brewer. Now, all of them take off into the dawn. Well, they did not take into account the fact that Mr. Brunner had been drinking for at least seven months prior to this time. And they got him out. He's sick in the car all the way out. out. This is uh, later. This came out, see. And they arrive at the place where they're going to hunt. And they discovered, after they got out there, that they had to have licenses. This was something that never occurred to them. And uh, there was no place to buy licenses because they were in a swamp. So they decided, well, the hell with hunting. And they t opened up the back of the Oldsmobile, and they took out this case of beer. <laughs> I'm telling you exactly what happened. Well, they're, they're, they're sitting on the shore of the swamp drinking a beer. And, they, and my, my old man says, you know, it's funny. I remember him saying, he says, he, he never realized that beer was so good at 4 o'clock in the morning. And so they're sitting there, and it's dark, and they're drinking beer. And raising, you know, cane and yelling and hollering. And all of a sudden, out of the darkness, they hear these shots going off. Just like the tape you heard. And the shots start coming off, and these guys are watching, and it's getting dawn, and they can see the other hunters out there. And, of course, they don't have any license. They're very law-abiding types. And anyway, they were about three-quarters bagged by this point. They lost all interest in hunting. <laughs> they were just sitting there having a good time. Sherby was telling his jokes, and Zudok was telling the rotten jokes. The worst, of course, of them all was Harry Gertz. Harry Gertz had a catalog of dirty jokes that made the, uh, well, as a matter of fact, he had, he had them in categories. You know, like the Sears Robot Company put stuff in categories like uh, underwear, like uh, farm equipment. All he had various jokes. He says, "You want to hear? You want to hear an Irish joke?" And somebody said, "Yeah, tell me." Then he tell this terrible Irish joke. Somebody said, uh, "You want to hear a camel joke?" And camel jokes. <laughs> he, had, he had jokes that you couldn't even tell. It was so bad. And so Gertz is out there telling the jokes. And they're sitting around. Now it's about eight o'clock in the morning. And somebody says, "How about let's get in some breakfast?" So they decided they were going to have breakfast. And so they're loading up the car. They're putting all their guns back. When all of a sudden, out of the sky, out of the grayness of the sky, comes a bird. And this bird comes flying down. He's been winged by somebody four miles away. And he just comes whoosh, 
plunk. And he lands right on the bank, right by Zudok. And there's the bird. It's a duck. And Zudok says, it's a duck. And Sherwood says, I'll be damned, it is a duck. And the four of them stand there looking at the duck. This is the way the scene was later pieced together by the survivors. And he says, it's a duck. And Sherby says, he's dead. Somebody shot him. <laughs> There's a duck planter. <laughs> and Gert says, yeah. And then my old man, and it was my old man, I must admit, was the one that started the whole scene. The old man says, let's take it. So Sherby says, yeah, we didn't shoot him. He just came down here. What are you supposed to do? Leave him there? And so they grab the duck, and now they're going to take this duck. They're going to bring it home and have breakfast. They're going to make the duck for breakfast. Somebody, you know how you know how guys when they get a snootful, they think of all this terrible stuff they're going to do. So they're going to come home and they're going to make a duck, have a duck for breakfast. Oh, this is a duck. Why well, they be surprised at home? We come home with a duck. And so they stick the duck in the back of the car with what would remain to the Atlas Crocker. And they start driving down this corduroy road away from the swamp. They had enough hunting for the year anyway. You know, they didn't want to hunt. You know, they just want to sit around and drink beers. What they want to do. So they drive over the they drive over the corduroy road and they're yelling and hollering. And Zudok is drunk. He's falling in and out of the car. And they finally get Gertz back in again. He runs out in the bushes. You know, I had to heave a little bit. And so they get him back and they're driving along. And they finally get out on the highway and they make a right turn. When suddenly a car materializes ahead of them and two guys with big hats get out. And one of them walks back towards the car and says, Hey, you guys, so let's see your hunting. He says, let's, let's see your licenses. And Zudok says, We ain't got no licenses. We didn't even hunt, for crying out loud. You see, you didn't hunt? And they had come out of the swamp, see, and they were all carrying 12-gauge shotguns, and they got these coats all over them. Of course, the coats still had the shotgun shells stuck in them, and a lot of beer all over the front of them and other stuff. They brought potato chips and all that, you know. So he says, we ain't been hunting. We don't have no license. We just drank some beer. We come back here. Get out of the way. We're going to go home out breakfast. You'll make a duck. And the guy says, you're going to do what? Oh, I'll make breakfast. Well, with that, the guy says, get out of the car, you four. Out gets the old man, Zudok, Sherby, and Gertz. The four of them stand there, you know. Bruner comes out of the bushes. He's been running along behind a car. Now they got five. And so the guy says, okay, so let me look in the car. So the two of them start from one end of the car to the other, and they start going through the car. And Zudok is saying, we've been hot, and we've spotted a shot. What's the matter with you? And the trunk goes up, and out comes the mallard. It's his dead... <laughs> as a mallard ever gets. And, you know, and he's peppered with the shot. You know, the boy, beautiful shot. Whoever it was got him right in the, you know, the vital spot. And he holds this thing up, and, and, and Gertz takes one look at it and says, That's odd, Doc. We didn't shoot him. He just came down and fell in a trunk. Just came down in the sky like that. Well, I don't have to tell you the rest of it. They take the, they take the five of them to the local justice of the police. They line them up. And all five of them are standing there protesting like mad, which, by the way, did not help their case any, because all five of them maintained that they had not fired a shot, and yet there it is, there's a dead mallard. And so they, all of them, each one singly, was fined 56 bucks. <laughs> by the way, this, this, uh, this figure became legendary in our family.
Because any time my mother went out and, uh, like, she would buy a uh, 75 cent bottle of evening in Paris perfume, and the old man would flip his cork and say, What is this? You think I'm made out of money? What is this? There'd be a long pregnant silence. And my mother would say, Yes, I re well remember that $56 duck, which went over like a lead duck in our house all the time. And the old man would slam the door and <laughs> he'd go stalking up. So it cost him 56 bucks for this duck. Well, naturally, you know, when they got home, there was a lot of yelling and hollering. And, oh, what an argument. I want to tell you, Larry, there was an argument in, in my family's house that went, and that was on a Saturday. That argument started about 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon and did not conclude till the following Arbor Day, which came, as you know, late in the spring. And this was in the fall. Well, I, got, I became very excited about hunting then. That was a big thing with me. You know, hunting was a big shtick, and I got all excited. And... Uh, it was a real thing. Now, hunting became real. Sherby had been hunting. The old man had been hunting. And by the way, for your information, these two guys did not allow Sherby or my old man or Gertz or Bruner to bring the duck back. They confiscated the duck, which was the final kick in the you-know-what. But they all got the fine. And uh, by the way, they were also all forced to buy a license, too. <laughs> <laughs> they had to pay whatever it is to buy the duck license, which they never used again. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is the way life really works in real life. You know? And so I'm a kid, you know, and I'm getting all excited about hunting. The old man's got this shotgun now in the house, and he's got this he's got this, uh, this leather jacket with the thing where the, with, you know, the jacket where they use it for the recoil up on the shoulder and all. I'm very excited. I'm watching this thing. And one day, and I will never forget this, in fact, I never forgave the guy who was responsible for this. There was a guy in the neighborhood you never heard me talk about named George B.G. Now, the reason I don't talk about B.G., he and his buddy, <laughs> he and his bubby, Delbert Bumpus. Now, you're going to think I made that name up, but Delbert Bumpus was, was B.G.'s buddy. And they were, they were big, see, and they hung around with Lawrence Stryker, who was, these were the big kids. See, they were, you know, I was about 15, 16. These guys were like 18 and 19. They were really on top of the scene and really hip-type kids. And I'm always hanging around trying to make the scene with these guys. And one day, George Beach, he says to me, he says, Chef, you're talking about hunting. He said, hey, Corky, that was Stryker's name. He says, hey, Cork, how about we take Chef snipe hunting? I said, yeah, gee whiz, I'd love to hunt snipe. That'd be great. He said, well, have you ever seen a snipe? I said, no, but yeah, sure, I read about him in a book. I read about snipe. They go snipe hunting. Don't they go snipe hunting in Virginia, places like that? There's some kind of a bird with a long beak. He says, no, no. No, these are Indiana swipe. These are Indiana swamp snipes. And I said, Indiana swamp snipes? He says, yeah. He says, and I'll tell you how you hunt for them. He says, I'll tell you what you do. He says, you want to go tomorrow night? And it's, you know, Saturday night. I says, yeah, yeah. He says, the only time you catch a snipe is at night. Right, Corky? Corky, yeah, yeah, that's right. How about you, Dell? Right. You want to go out hunting snacks with Shep? Yeah. Okay. You got the scene? Saturday night, I am dressed in my canvas coat, my sheepskin, you know, with the big collar. I've got my corduroy hat. I'm wearing my overshoes. I got on my high knickers with the high things that lace up. We're going hunting. And we go out into the swamp in Delbert's Montelay. Bumpus's Monterey. We drive way out in the swamp. Now, we had a swamp that was like 500 miles long. And we drive deep into the swamp. 
And now we're out in the darkness. And BG is talking in whispers. He says, you can't talk out loud. The snipe will hear you. And if they hear you, they'll forget it. They're very shy. Now look, we're going to drop you off here. And me and Corky and Bell are going into the woods, deeper in the woods. And we will chase the snipe toward you. Now you get in the water there. And you stand in the water and hold this burlap bag. You hold the bag between your legs. Hold it open, see, like that. And the snipe will see the bag and think that it's a burrow. You know what a burrow is? It's a hole in the ground. See, you'll see that. And he'll, he'll run into the bag. Now, you got to whistle. And when you, you have to keep whistling. Now, the snipe hears the whistling, see, and thinks that there's another snipe. Now, for some reason or other, and I don't know why it is, but snipe like to hear you whistle, Dixie. Do you know how to whistle, Dixie? I say, yeah. They say, okay. As soon as we go, you start whistling, Dixie. And you keep the bag between the knees. And the snipe will come running in. Okay. Good luck. Here's the bag. When I climb out of the car and I got the bag, it's a burlap sack. And I go down into the water, which is like 500 degrees below zero. And it is cold. Oh, boy, is it cold. The wind is blowing out of the trees. It is as dark as the inside of your hand. And I start going... I am hunting snipe and I'm excited. And they go off into the darkness and they're gone. And I am suddenly aware all around me is the swamp... I'm scared. There's nothing but darkness. What's that over there by the tree? Well, I was scared out of my skull. And I am really scared. And I am still excited. I'm hunting snipe. And I got that bag between my knees. And I'm whistling Dixie. Well, I whistled Dixie for five hours up to my knees in the swamps. And dawn is coming up like thunder over the gas works far away. When it suddenly dawned on me, I have been T-A-K-E-N. I have been taken. And ever since that day... Now, I'm going to... This is why I never have told this story before, because it's so embarrassing. Ever since that day, whenever I go back home, guys holler out of pool rooms, Hey, chef, how about going out for some snipe? There goes the snipe hunter. I never, ever lived that down. And I became known in certain circles as a... I can't even say it now. Can't say it now. I will not say it. But I will never forget hunting snipe. And as far as I'm concerned, those Jersey hunters out there in the darkness banging away at the only three ducks that were seen all that day, those guys plunging up in the main woods shooting at each other, and me standing knee-deep in the swamp whistling Dixie, we're all in the same bank. In the same bank. By the way, family, 
How would you like to do a little snipe hunting? I know where there's some snipe out there back of Hackensack, out there by the junkyard. You'd like to go out tonight? A little snipe hunting.